past few weeks, um, we've taken a, a little bit of a, a break from our normal pattern. Usually we're preaching through whole books of the Bible. Uh, over the past uh, four, three weeks, this is the fourth week, uh, we've taken uh, a month or so to look more specifically at God's mission and calling for us as a church uh, and how it uh, particularly relates and coincides to our uh, anticipating move to the property over on Riverside Avenue. And so the, the, the first we looked and saw in First uh, Peter how God has this great building project that he's doing. It's this mission of establishing his kingdom and his grace and his mercy. He has saved and involved every believer to be a part of this great building project. Um, what we saw the next week in Luke was that one uh, great obstacle and stumbling block to us pursuing that building project, pursuing God's kingdom, can be our, uh, our heart response to our possessions and finances and money. Um, but what we've seen is that uh, it's the, the, the grace and provision of our God that should free us up from wanting to trust in stuff and cling to it but instead move us to be generous with our things. And we saw last week that uh, one of the, the ways that that begins to happen is we understand God's perspective on our, on our stuff and why He's given it to us. It's freed us up to be generous to people around us. Um, but what we want to look at this week is uh, uh, one other aspect of generosity. Um, because what we've, we're, we're seeing is that our hearts, remember, the problem isn't the stuff and the possessions, it's our heart and the, uh, the affection and desires and longings and trust that we place into it. Um, our, uh, we can be resistant at times to want to use our finances and to want to use our stuff to uh, invest in God's kingdom, in His purposes and in what He's doing. Uh, and so this morning, what we want to do is we're going to look in the book of uh, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, to see uh, where God is calling us as people who at times may be resistant to want to uh, invest our finances and our, our possessions in the expanse of his kingdom, that he is, he is actually calling us, calling us to invest the things we have the stuff that He's given us, the money that He's provided us, and the expanse and growth of His kingdom. So, we're going to look in Malachi chapter 3 this morning. Uh, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, uh, this is on page 802. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12 this morning. Um, so if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God for us this morning. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says Yahweh of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says Yahweh of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you continue to pursue us uh, through the scriptures and pray, Holy Spirit, this morning that you would guide my words, guide our hearts uh, to gain from your word what you would have for us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At first, hearing this passage, you might be like, whoa. Malachi, calm down, big man. You're robbing God? Calling the whole nation of the people of Israel robbers? Because they're not bringing their tithes and their contributions in? Something for us to, to understand is that this, the context of what's going on is Malachi is a, a prophet. He's um, speaking on behalf of God. One way to understand prophets is not so much somebody who kind of foresees the future, but it might be better to think about them as covenant lawyers um, who come and uh, knowing what God has called his people and how to live, the, the, the prophets are sent to encourage the people to live faithfully in the relationship that God has called them to. Sometimes it involves the, the prophet bringing uh, rebuke and, and, and challenge other times, the prophet is bringing comfort, all in a, the hope to move the people to live faithfully before, uh, before their God. Now, at this time, the people have just uh, uh, recently uh, had returned from exile due to their continued rebellion against God. So they've returned, they're dwelling back in the land, um, and at the time, there was uh, some financial hardship. Um, the land wasn't producing as it should, and so the people were resistant to give and bring what God had called them uh, to bring. Uh, and so that's, the, that's what Malachi is addressing within the, the context of the people and their, and their, their hearts. But what we want to look at is understanding, if, uh, to see this passage as helping to instruct us on why, as God's people, just as they were struggling to want to invest financially and materially in God's kingdom, we do too. Why? That's the first question. Why? Should we invest financially and materially in the kingdom of God? Notice, notice where Malachi starts. He starts by pointing us that it's a proper response to God's great act of redemption. Look in verse, verse 6. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Notice where Malachi begins. In the character of the unchanging, faithful, covenant God of redemption. He 
points out to, to, to these people who are struggling to invest in God's kingdom and he's reminding them of their saving, gracious God of mercy. He says, I do not change. I am gracious and I'm faithful to you. Look back. Look at your life. Even right now, you are not destroyed. The history of my people has been one of where they they failed to live faithfully before me. But in my covenant promises and in my grace and in my mercy, I've preserved you. You have not been destroyed. I have brought you back to the land. And even now, even now, as you are uh, rebelling against me, you're, 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 cease, uh, you're struggling to trust me with your finances and me providing for you, I'm coming. I'm coming to you. I'm pursuing you. In fact, Malachi's words to them would have been confirmation again of this covenant God, of His redeeming work in their lives. And in His grace and His mercy to come to them. And God in His, in his kindness and His love coming and saying, return, come to Me. Recognize My provision, My grace, My sustaining power and redemption in your life. I've been faithful to My promises. It's where it begins. And Malachi is saying, look, this, the fact that this is the God who has saved you, This is the God who you serve and whose name you bear. The fact that His character doesn't change, His redeeming work in your life, proper response should be to want to invest in the furtherance of this God's kingdom, of this gracious, merciful, kind, and loving God. Notice what he's saying uh, in verse 8 and 9. The present response of the people is not appropriate. It's an inappropriate response to a God who would save and redeem like this. Notice in verse 8 and 9 what he calls it. Will will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, "How, how have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What Malachi is saying is presently what's going on in their their lives. Remember we said there was uh, some uh, maybe famine, drought. uh, uh, They were being attacked by enemies. For some reason, uh, the crops and the land wasn't producing. What God is actually pointing out to them is the reason it's not producing is because of your rebellion against me. And I'm in my fatherly discipline disciplining you. You're wanting to hoard and, and hold on in greed and greed and not trusting me to your stuff is not an appropriate response to my generosity to you, to my saving you, to my giving of myself to redeem and bring you in to my family. Right here, Malachi and what he's calling it is uh, that the people's not investing in God's kingdom. He's referring to as robbery. Why? Why would he call it that? Why would that be considered robbing God? Well, it's important for us to know what, what does he mean? Notice what he, what he says there, how they're robbing him. Well, in your tithes and contributions. Well, what are those? What does he mean by tithes and contributions? Well, tithe just 
means tenth. And there were places, and we'll look at this here in a little bit, there were places in Scripture where God prescribed to the people in His law that they were to give a tenth of their income, uh, their, the produce and the things that they received from the land and from their animals, uh, to, to God. Um, the, the contributions were things that were usually free will offerings over and above that that the people would give uh, to God in various ways, but in response to gratitude for who he was and what he was, what he was doing. And God is saying right now, the way that you are responding is inappropriate by not giving those things. Uh, in fact, if we look back over the... I'm not going to read all of these passages, but if you look back, this was a, the common response to God's people and his act of redemption in their lives was to respond by giving financially to his kingdom. Back in uh, Genesis chapter 14, you may want to look at this, uh, at this later. It's Genesis 14, verses uh, 17 through 20. Uh, Abraham's nephew Lot has been captured by some kings in the region where he's uh, living. And Abraham goes out to pursue these kings and to save Lot. And Abraham comes back victorious. And in response to God's protection of Abraham and his deliverance and preserving of Lot, Abraham responds in the presence of Melchizedek, who was described as the priest of the Most High God. So he was a, a priest of the one true and living God. Abraham responds in gratitude by giving a tenth of what he got from the war in response to God's grace and his mercy. Later, uh, Jacob as uh, Jacob is fleeing um, Esau uh, due to his deception. But although Jacob is the one that the promise is going to go through, uh, in Genesis 28, Jacob's getting ready to leave the land that God has promised. He's going away. And he says, God, if you will protect me, if you will preserve me, if you will be faithful to me, to sustain me and fulfill your promises, when I return, I will give you a tenth of all that is mine. And the, 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 the Hebrew language that's used there of, of the giving of that tenth, of that tithe, um, is one that, uh, that many understand to be a frequent use. So Jacob is promising that in response to your, your gracious provision and your redemption, I will continue to give uh, financially to your kingdom expanding. Uh, and then later, Moses, in his communication to the people of moving forward with these models of what the, uh, the, the fathers of the faith of Abraham and Jacob did, Moses instructs the people coming from God that in the things that they are given, that a proper response to God's gracious provision and redemption of them would be to give tithes and contributions to the furtherance of God's kingdom. So we, we see this, this pattern throughout the Old Testament. Malachi coming and calling the people here. God's redeemed you. He hasn't changed. He's faithful. Is it not the proper and right response to give to the furtherance of His kingdom? Um, now, the question might be, well, what, what about now? Alright, it's in the Old Testament. We've talked about this before, but we're not in the Old Testament anymore. This is the New Testament. These things change. Well, in some ways we could say, uh, yes, but in other ways, no. Think about, think about it like, like this. We've, we've seen this pattern coming through the Old Testament. 
that a proper heart response and gratitude to God is to invest financially in his, in his expanding kingdom. Um, in the New Testament, uh, the, the, the explicit commands for giving a tenth or a tithe don't come up. But it would seem like the fact that we see this great pattern moving forward, it would be a good place to start. But in the New Testament, although it doesn't specify particularly using the language of a tenth, listen to what it does say. As the New Testament authors expand on this idea of uh, giving uh, and investing financially and materially in God's kingdom, um, one place that we will look this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, here, Paul is talking about giving and contributing to the work that God is doing. Um, and listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to the church in Corinth and he's speaking of the grace that's been given to the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means. As I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Then over in verse 9, Paul roots and grounds this call to generosity, extreme generosity of giving out of your means and even in some cases over and above in the redemption of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And as he continues this explanation of, of giving in, verse, uh, in chapter 9, um, just over uh, a few verses, he says this in verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Where the New Testament goes is really what they're saying is, do you not realize how incredible the redemption is that God has secured on your behalf. What He has done, this unchanging God has given Himself for you. This redemption is even greater than the awesome redemption that the people in the Old Testament experienced. We have, been, we have more fully seen the culmination of the grace and mercy of God. We've seen uh, the, the fulfillment of all of these covenant promises come uh, to uh, their fruition in Christ. If it was appropriate then, in the Old Testament, how much more so now? The New Testament doesn't leave it at a tenth. It goes further and says that we should all be bold, generous, cheerful givers to God in light of the redemption that He has secured for us in Christ. Uh, growing up, um, uh, from an early age, my parents taught me this. They taught us this in, in church. 
but to, to give uh, a tenth and to tithe. And so, you know, I'd always set out, you know, I got a dollar allowance. I'd have to take my dime out and set it aside. And our church passed out envelopes. And I don't know what the envelope counter guys thought, but every time they would get a little envelope and there'd be this little dime in there from me. And, you know, as I made more money, you know, that dime increased. But that's always kind of been a pattern in my life to give a tenth. But I noticed when we moved to Virginia, and I looked around our neighborhood, and I saw other people who didn't go to church, and how they were able to purchase all sorts of stuff and do all sorts of things that we really didn't have the money for. Trips, TV, new cars, home renovations. I began to think, hmm, if I didn't tithe, if I were to cut back, that would be a way to where I could do that stuff too. You see, what, what that began to expose to me in my own heart is I may have been following the letter of the law, but the spirit of being a cheerful giver, of delighting and begging, as we see in the church in Corinth, that Paul's encouraging them from the church in Macedonia, begging to be able to be a part of what God is doing. My heart was far from it. You see, there are many of us here who we may be giving to God now. Maybe you're giving a tenth. Maybe you're giving more. Maybe you're giving nothing at all. But if your heart is far from it, and that giving is not done cheerfully and joyfully, then we are robbing God. We may be putting the money in the plate. We may be contributing to the kingdom. But we are robbing God of His due worship, of our delight, of our celebration and enjoyment of Him as our Redeemer who never changes. How are we robbing God? Maybe it is in our heart response. Others of us, though, may need to consider and think through things. Maybe uh, there's some of us who may be here and and we, we may want to give more. Seeing this call and this encouragement in Scripture, but we realize that right now, financially, Due to the debts that we've incurred and the the historic pattern of spending, we're just not in a place to do that. Uh, So maybe a response here would would be to think, all right, what, what do I need to do to reconsider my priorities? How I'm managing my funds that I have that God's provided for me of seeing and understanding this call and delighting and desiring in our hearts to be giving more to what God is doing. Uh, It would be a a good thing to, to revisit our budgets, to think through what would it look like to be more financially uh, sound with what I'm doing and how I'm investing so that I'm able to free up more in my income to give to what God is doing. Hopefully this summer we may do a a short course uh, to try to help us think through this about how to manage our finances more for this 
purpose, thinking about how we're not to be enslaved to debt and to finances, but be freed up to invest more in the things that God has called us to. Um, others may be already giving. Giving with a, a heart of, of joy. Uh, um, and God is encouraging us more and more to continue to grow in our joy, grow in our celebration, grow in our giving towards the God who has given everything in order to redeem and save us. Notice, Scripture is not coming right now trying to beat people over the head and saying, do you want God to love you? Do you want Him to care for you? Do you want Him to delight in you? If you do, then you better fill this up. In fact, you know what? We're going to pass it around again. Because I don't think you've given enough. I've been in a church where that's happened before. Do you want God to love you? That is not what Scripture says. Malachi, the one who calls the people of God robbers, begins by calling them the people of God. God loves you. He has saved and redeemed you. Respond out of His grace and His mercy by giving in response to what He's done, not to secure it for yourself. But notice where the passage goes on. We see why we should give. It's in response to God's great work of redemption. But what does it go to? Well, tithes and contributions is what he's talking about. Well, what did these go to? Well, here again, I'll give you some passages, maybe in your community groups or later you could go back and look at this. But one of the things that we see is these, remember, some of them were prescribed uh, in the law for what the people were to give. Some of them were free will offerings. But one of the places that it went was to... Uh, Make sure that the feasts and the festivals that the people of God celebrated throughout the year were able to take place. These are things of worship, delight, and celebration and how God had provided for them through the year and how He had secured historically their redemption. Uh, there were uh, tithes that was brought in in order to care for the poor, to care for the needy who were in their midst. We talked about and saw that last week. Um, the furnishings of... Uh, uh, for, both furnishing and maintaining the temple and the tabernacle structure were part of what the tithes and contributions went for to sustain the worship of, of God. Um, and in, uh, oh, sorry, uh, the feasts and festivals, that's in Deuteronomy 12 and 14. Caring for the poor is in Deuteronomy 14. Uh, the furnishing and maintaining the tabernacle is in Exodus 25 and Exodus 35. And then the other place we see it is through the, uh, uh, the tithes and contributions that were given. The priests and the Levites were, provi were provided for. In Numbers 18, it talks about how they're given uh, what they need in order for the worship of God to continue. For the discipleship of God's people to happen. In fact, in Second Chronicles, uh, as Hezekiah is enacting reforms to reestablish a, a hearty and healthy worshiping culture within the people of God, one of the things that they talk about the tithe going to is to provide for the Levites and the priests. And it says this, so that they could devote themselves to the law of God. Why? Because they were the ones who were nurturing, shepherding, guarding, traveling, and discipling the people throughout the midst of Israel. 
God is saying, look, I've redeemed and saved you for the purpose of demonstrating my glory as a worshiping, holy, sanctified people. It's important that the worship of God be maintained and done faithfully. So what we see really in the Old, the Old Testament is that it's through the tithes and contributions of God's people that the worship and work of God is supported and furthered. That's the intention and the purpose. Well, as we go forward, we see the same thing in the New Testament. But instead of it being the context of the, the tabernacle and the temple, it's done in the context of the local, regional, and global church. Uh, again, uh, we see the care for the poor happening. We saw this a little bit last week, but Acts 2, we see it, it coming together as they're gathering and selling their possessions in order to care for the, the needy uh, among them. And we just saw what Paul was writing to the church in, uh, in Corinth uh, about that. Uh, and in, um, in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, at the end of that chapter, Paul says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you are to do also. On the first day of every week, which is, he's talking about the Sabbath, when they're gathering together, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that when I come, there will be no collecting. Uh, when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Paul here is encouraging the church to, to regularly gather this, the, these funds that are brought in, the, the tithes and offerings of the people. Uh, other places we see uh, these tithes and the, the, the New Testament church talking about giving financially, it's for the purpose of the expansion of God's mission and for church planting. The book of Romans, although we look at it as this great theological book, which it is, at the end, Paul says that one, part of what he's doing is he wants to go to Spain. He wants to see the gospel move past Rome, and he's writing to the church in Rome. Why? To remind them of the grace and mercy that's extended to them in God, that they would support him on his mission to continue to go, that the gospel would be spread. And in Philippians, again, in chapter 4, Paul again talks about how the church in Philippi has partnered with him from the beginning to see the gospel move forward and the church expand and grow. And then uh, as well, uh, in, uh, in Galatians and in 1 Corinthians and in Timothy, uh, Paul uh, is encouraging the people to provide for uh, the spiritual leaders of the church. They would be provided for so that they could invest in, and we saw this a few weeks ago, shepherding the souls of the people of God. Uh, you see, the, the point of what God is saying is, this is what it's going to, is to further my glory, to further my fame, to multiply worshipers and magnify my glory throughout the world. Is that not worth investing in? Think, think about here in the context of our church and how this is carried out our, uh, and what our tithes and contributions go to. This, this worship space. We're able to meet here and gather as God's people because of the faithful contributions of the people of God. I was talking to one guy one day and he was like, uh, I just don't really know about tithing. It just seems like it just kind of goes to 
pay in the light bill and not something more significant. I was thinking, well, the light bill is a part of it, but how much harder would it be for us to worship in the dark? You remember a couple uh, last year when the pipes froze and we had no water? We couldn't meet. Space to gather has been important for us, and it's furthered our mission and our work here as a church. Um, you graciously, through the tithes and contributions of, uh, of our church and other churches that are contributing to us as we're a plant, have enabled me, like the, the shepherds in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to invest time to study the Word, to pray, to make sure God's people are shepherded and fed are nourished and cared for so that we as a church can grow and expand. That is a great provision that comes from this. Um, uh, we have funds that are given to be able to help those who are in need. We talked about that last week. Uh, but even now, uh, as a church, 10% of everything that is given to us on a Sunday morning, we've been putting aside for the purpose, as we see in the New Testament, for missions and church planting. We've been able to, we're, we're helping to, to support Jimmy Brock as they're planning in Princess Anne right now. Um, but what we have, I think right now in our missions fund, we have $20,000 that have been put aside over the past few years. What we're wanting to do is establish a missions team among our church so that we can significantly uh, support a few missionaries through partnership. Um, to be able to provide and see churches planted and the gospel spread, both here in northeastern North Carolina and around the world. That is part of what our funds go to. We're doing that not only within our presbytery, but throughout our denomination. So think, think about what that could look like. Think about what that would look like as we move over into our new space and how us as God's people giving generously and sacrificially to the work that God is doing through our local church, what could happen? Think about what it would look like for us to grow in our um, caring for the poor and needy with the funds that come in through our tithe and the significant impact that could make through uh, job training, financial counseling that could come from that. Think about what it would look like as we could possibly use that uh, parsonage next to the to the church building. What if we use that to bring in an intern, a man who is studying to be a, um, a pastor, a shepherd of God's people, to be able to bring somebody in who we can provide them a place to stay, maybe help with uh, seminary education so that they're trained in the context of our church and sent out to further uh, build God's kingdom and church? Or what if we used it to bring in a, a, a church planting apprentice? Do you know we're the only PCA church, uh, the next closest PCA church to us in northeastern North Carolina is 100 miles away. What would it look like to bring in a, a, a person who's already graduated seminary, they're ready, uh, understand the call to plant in rural northeastern North Carolina. We bring them here to serve and be discipled in the context of our congregation to see how God has worked in a small town in northeastern North Carolina to see churches multiplied and planted in, uh, in our region. Or we use our funds to continue to think about the Norrises in Ukraine 
or people in closed countries that we could significantly and substantially support missionaries so they're not having to use their time to go around and raise funds. But Harbor Presbyterian Church in little Elizabeth City, North Carolina, is able to significantly impact the kingdom in response to what Jesus has done through our giving and our response as a church. We can dream and think about this. And it all flows out of our response to what Jesus has done. Notice, notice what Malachi points to. So we've seen why we should give our tithes and, and contributions. We've seen what it goes to. But notice, notice the results. The results of giving financially and materially to the kingdom of God. Notice first that what he points to is that God blesses us through our generosity. Look in verses 10 through 11. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. A lot of times what we struggle is to really trust that God will provide. Notice what God is saying here. In your generosity... I will always be your provision. I will provide what you need. We will be blessed as we're generous toward our God through experiencing His provision for us as His people. One of the commentators I was reading this week said it's important for us to understand and make the distinction between needs and greeds. God is not promising to meet your greeds, but He does promise to meet the needs of His people. But... Notice this, it's, it's not just that he, we experience His provision and blessing that comes through that, but look in verse 12. Then, as the people respond and see the provision of God, He says this, Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember the, the whole purpose for why God redeemed and saved Abraham? Remember what He said? I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you will be a blessing. And through you, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What God is saying here is that through the people of God, generously and sacrificially giving financially and materially toward the expansion of His kingdom, we get to participate in the expansion of that kingdom. We get to be beneficiaries and experience blessing that comes through being a part of this great mission God is doing because the, the nations of the world, God is saying, will look upon us and call us blessed. Why? Because as the gospel is going out, we're demonstrating a life lived in dependency and trust on the one living and true God. And the hope and the prayers that other nations and people would look upon us and say, wow, who, who is this God? What is so different about you? How can you live in a place of, of peace and contentment? Delight, joy, even in the midst of your struggle. Well, let me tell you, it's because of the provision that God's given us through Jesus. And our greatest hope isn't through our stuff, it's not through good health, but it's through Christ and what He has done for us. God is saying you will have the opportunity as God multiplies what you are doing and using you to spread the gospel. Think about that for us. That we would get to, as a church, participate in what God's doing. 
Do you look forward to that? Do you celebrate that? Do you see that as like the church in Macedonia, begging to be able to have the opportunity to invest in this kingdom? When I was growing up, we'll close with this. Uh, the, the church that I grew up is just around the corner from my house uh, in Charlotte. This lady named Helen Korbler taught the little nursery kids Sunday school class. We were in there. It didn't matter if you were diapers or whatever. She taught us how to, uh, about Jesus loves me. She taught us only a boy named David, only a little sling. She taught us about James and John out in the sailboat and how Jesus provided for them. She taught us the catechism and knowing the truths of who Jesus is and what He had done for us. Ms. Corbler gave of herself and her finances to provide for a lot of the stuff in that class. Well, later as I, as I grew out of the nursery class, I didn't stay in there forever, I would come back and help from time to time. And later on, as through the, the ministry and work that Ms. Corbler had done in my life, I began to want to invest too. And so I started wanting to teach the kids in those classes. I wanted to go on missions trips to other countries and to, to teach and share the gospel of Jesus. And you know what? Ms. Corbler began to support me financially, to invest her money in seeing the kingdom of God spread and me be shaped and, and grow. After I graduated college and I came on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ and I wanted to be a missionary on a college campus, Ms. Corbler was eager and delighted to support me. And she supported me the whole five years I was on staff with Campus Crusade. And I remember going and visiting her and saying, Ms. Corbler, I'm coming off of staff with Campus Crusade. I'm going to go to, to seminary uh, to be a pastor. Um, and so you can stop supporting me now. She goes, hold on. You're going to need to eat there won't you? Are you going to be working? I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, then I'm going to continue to support. She supported us as we went through seminary. Miss Korbler was blessed by being able to invest in the kingdom of God. Every time I would go back and share with her about how God had been doing in Clemson, what God was doing in seminary. She rejoiced and she celebrated. Now her mind's gone. She doesn't understand what's going on. But do you know that every single one of you here are beneficiaries and are experiencing blessing that has come from how Miss Korbler invested in the kingdom of God. That is the privilege that all of us have to see that go forward, to see the kingdom of God spread and more and more people come to know Jesus. That's why God has saved us. To use our lives and our finances to see the kingdom of this gracious God who would give Himself to die to redeem us. That that message would go forward. That the world would come to know Jesus, may we all invest generously and sacrificially in response to the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that the gospel is true. We thank you that uh, you are still at work, at work in us. And in 
for some crazy reason, you want to use us to spread your kingdom. Would we delight to be participants in that? Would you show us more and more how we can do that with our lives and with our finances? And it would all be for the glory of Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.